1: Rockheads, throw your laptop in your Demsac and listen up. It's time for another stellar episode of .NET Rocks, the internet audio talk show for .NET developers with Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell. This is Lawrence Ryan announcing show number 271 with guest Don Demsack, recorded live Thursday, September 6, 2007. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter, And now, bringing world-class .NET and SharePoint training on-site to your development team. Online at www.franklins.net. And by Telerik. Combining the best in Windows forms and ASP.NET controls with first-class customer service. Online at www.telerik.com. Support is also provided by Data Dynamics, makers of active reports.net. Simple, powerful, and cost-effective reporting for Windows forms and ASP.NET web applications. Online at www.datadynamics.com. And by Code Magazine, the leading independent magazine for .NET developers. Online at www.code-magazine.com. And now, the man who says... You can lead a program at a XAML, but you can't make him link. Carl Franklin.
2: Thank you very much. Welcome back to .NET Rocks. This is Carl, your hostess with the mostest on the east coastest of the United States. Richard Campbell's out there in Vancouver. Hey, man. Hey, how are you? I'm fine. Here we are again. Here we are again after a weekend in New York. A weekend in New York, and boy, wasn't it fun. It was an adventure. Yep. Uh, lots of fun to be had down there, but lots of fun coming up with Don XML here in just a few minutes. But before we start that, let's roll the Better Know Framework music for the education of our audience. What do you got for me today, Carl? Well, today uh, I got an old standby, sort of... Uh, you know a fundamental class that you're going to use a lot it's the system.io namespace and within that namespace is the stream writer and stream reader now one thing is for sure when you just start looking into the .net framework and you you know you you open up that big system.io.help file and you look at everything around everything that has stream in the name it can be somewhat overwhelming because there's you know, text reader, text writer, and stream reader, stream writer, string reader, you know, like all of these things, what do you use? Do I use a stream, you know, which is kind of a low-level thing? But with the stream writer and stream reader, is an easy way to, like for the stream writer, for instance, if you want to just write to a file, a text file, a binary file, a text file especially. If you want to write to a text file, like a write out an XML file or something like that, although right. you'd probably use an XML writer. But uh, you just create a new stream writer, and you pass the file name, and then you can just write lines of text to it. Similarly, if you want to read the entire contents of a text file, you can create a stream reader and pass the file name that you want to read in. And then you can just say, read all text. and uh, Or you could read one line at a time, or you could read one character at a time, or, you know, whatever. So, the stream reader and stream writer, an easy way to access text files. There you go. Excellent. So, uh, Richard, it's time to announce the first winner for our .NET Rocks TechEd 2007 Europe, uh,
0: Barcelona sweepstakes. Right. This is the second year now we've done this sweepstakes, and uh, unfortunately .NET Rocks is not going to be at the dev week of uh, tech ed barcelona but greg hughes and i from run as radio are going to be at the it forum week
2: right and you're going to do the things that we did last year the the, the speaker idol contest for speaker example. speaker
0: idol 64 bit question we're doing some panels we're doing a bunch of different shows, so we're going to be all over IT Forum. And let me tell you, they are almost double ahead of their sellout rate this year. Wow, that's
2: great, and I can't so, wait to go back next year. Oh, we're but this year we decided blast. to give away two 24-inch monitors. Uh, the way that you get signed up to do that, of course, is you participate every week by answering a question about uh, the show. And last week's question was, what geek consumable product is Larry O'Brien associated with by means of an annual event? All right, and the answer is <laughs> Jolt Cola. Right, cuz he's involved with the Jolt Awards. Right, the Jolt Cola Awards, he started that with uh with some friends. And from the people who got the answer right, we picked at random a winner for the brain bag. And which who's is the winner? Yeah. And the winner is David Groves. David Groves? David Groves. I know David Groves. That's right. He's an old friend of the show. And uh, he happened to be one of the people, an alert listener, who went and filled out the form. And again, we just picked uh, somebody at random to win this week now the weekly winners richard get uh tom bin brain bags yeah my favorite laptop bag and yours absolutely so david congratulations you'll be uh receiving that brain bag in the mail shortly and the weekly winners will then go into a pool and on october 30th we're going to pick from those winners and the lucky winner there gets uh two winners actually will get uh, 24 inch lcd monitors awesome do we know what brand
0: have we picked them out yet i haven't picked them out but i'm thinking they'll probably be dells which in the end it's all the same screen all the right. screens are made by samsung yeah it's all a question of whose brand we put on it uh and the only reason i'm selecting dell is that they got great shipping okay awesome
2: well there you go uh also uh, we want to announce where we're going to be headed uh, out this fall we have a long lineup we, we're all over the place this fall not just TechEd uh, Barcelona, but we're gonna we're gonna be starting in a couple of weeks here in the Netherlands with the SDC. Yeah, that's next week. Conference. SDC,
0: September seventeenth to tw- to nineteenth, right? And yeah, outside Arnhem in Poppendal. and followed by DevReach in Bulgaria, right? October first and second, yeah, in Sofia, right? And the next one is DevConnections in Las Vegas
2: at Mandalay Bay. Yeah, and that's November fifth. And uh, that's gonna be an interesting event because it's a launch event and you'll be able to get a copy of Visual Studio two thousand eight right. in your hot little hands. Gonna be th- that, by the way, the Las Vegas show
0: for Dev Connections is the biggest show they do. It's amazing. I can't believe how many people are there. And the Mandalay Bay, you know, the the, the conference center there is enormous. It's it's ridiculous. So, then I'm flying right out of there directly to Barcelona for the following week, the week of November 12th, and that's TechEd Europe IT Forum. Right. And, and then finally, the last week of November, November 26th, that's actually after US Thanksgiving, right. is DevTeach Vancouver. Yeah. I finally don't have to fly to a conference. Yeah. So, our friend Jean-René, who normally does DevTeach in Montreal, trying something new, we're doing it in Vancouver, and... Uh, you know, if you live anywhere in the U.S., Vancouver's not that far away. It's a two-hour drive from Seattle. Yeah. Well, we'd like to see you at one or
2: all of these conferences, depending on your tolerance for travel <laughs> and, uh, and how much brownie points you can score with your boss between now you. and then. And, of course, uh, Richard, Greg Brill from Infusion is still sucking up uh, .NET Rock's listeners left and right. They just keep keep going to New York, and he needs more. So, the deal is, if you want to spend a year in New York, do the quote-unquote New York City tour for a year, that uh, you want to get in touch with Infusion, and if they accept you... You'll get to live in Manhattan rent free for a year. How can you beat that? On top of a, uh, a New York City salary. By the way, if you've checked the rent in Manhattan lately, it is obscene. So yeah,
0: even a little place, a couple of thousand dollars a month. Yeah. And that's for a, a bathroom, basically. Yeah, yeah. Bachelor pad. <laughs> yeah.
2: So if you're interested in that, go to shrinkster.com slash KH6. Well, let's bring on Don. Don Demsack, aka Don XML, is an independent consultant based out of New Jersey who specializes in building enterprise applications with .net. He's a Microsoft MVP for XML, of course, and has just recently been added to the INETA speakers bureau. Won't you please welcome back to the show Don Demsack? Hi Don. Hey, how you doing, Carl and Richard? We're doing fine. We uh, we just finished a couple of great DNR TVs on uh, Link to XML. We thought let's uh, Let's talk about it on .net Rocks.
3: Yeah, let's rehash it one more time.
2: So, oh. link to XML.
3: Link to XML. Um, a lot, of, a lot of hype out there about link. A lot of hype out there about uh, link to SQL. Yeah. Uh, about querying your databases using a um, you know standard query syntax and some nice ma- uh, simple mapping to to query your tables and. There was a lot of buzz about linked to entities, but one of the, uh, things that I guess a lot of people are missing is the, the new XML object model that they're unveiling in .NET 3.5 called linked to XML. Wish they would have came up with a better name than linked to XML. X-Link was cool, but, uh, I think the XML is what we got.
2: Well, it's okay. Uh, You know what? Let's start at uh, this code camp or something we were at. I think it might have been the New Jersey Code Camp, and it might have even been the time we went to the New Jersey Code Camp while we were on the road trip. Do you remember that road trip? Yeah, it was. That's that's exactly what it was because Miguel was there and you were there. Of course, it was New Jersey. So, uh, you were, you were talking about this out in the lounge and sitting with a bunch of geeks and you, you had the idea that, oh my God, this is horrible because the, the basic idea between link to XML is XML literals right in your, your VB code and it was only VB that was getting this feature and it still is.
3: It still is. It's still only VB that's getting the xml literal feature which is different than the link to xml yeah it's a feature of link to xml right yeah
2: so um and you were horrified because you thought that this was going to encourage spaghetti code a la asp and uh you know the intro joke you got your vb and my xml and my xml and your vb i mean that's really what it's like when you're when you look at it but but since uh since that day in 2005, you've come around, huh?
3: Oh, i definitely come around. Um, and most of it was because of uh, Lux, Lux's Reflector. Yeah. Um, because when you How look so? at the code, it, the, if you haven't seen it yet, you definitely stop by and check out check it out. Um, but you actually have XML with sans the, the, the quotes, you know, in, embedded in your VB code. And it definitely harkened back to the, the nightmare that was classic ASP uh, for all, any of us old-timers now, I guess.
4: Um, <laughs> back in the old days. <laughs>
3: back in the old days. Um, and, and it just, I mean, that pain was so severe that it just sat with me and said, you know, this visually reminds me of this, and I didn't like it. Um, right down to the, the uh, perc- percentage equals and the yellow highlighting, and it just made... Made you regress to that that period? Yeah, it's got
0: to give you chills. We just got away from ASP for crying <laughs> out loud, right?
3: Uh, and so I mean, it was it was tough. It was definitely a tough thing to to get over visually. Um, but once I looked at it in reflector and realized that the compiler was was playing tricks with us, and they just added some syntactic sugar to VB for us, so that when the compiler actually sees the XML. You know, behind, behind the scenes, it actually does the functional construction, uh, using the link to XML object model. Um, once you got that into your head and that that visual stuff, you know, really didn't matter, then it really, you know, came, came to make sense to me that, you know, this is just a little syntactic sugar, yet yeah, visually it looks this way, um, but it's not strings behind the scenes. It's actually compiled down to just about the same stuff that if you would have typed it in, you know, in C-sharp and you would have did, you know, new X-element open paren, you know, uh, library, you know, close. Yeah, you know, but Don, it seems stuff. to me that
2: the problem with classic ASP wasn't what it compiled to, but the, the absolute spaghetti code that you could come up with just by uh, mixing these two worlds in absolutely obscene ways and, and it, it leads to... Uh, Write-only code. <laughs> yeah, debug-proof code. So can that still happen with uh, this stuff?
3: That can still happen, and there are performance implications on how you actually write your stuff. So just like in classic ASP, uh, and just like what you can do now in ASP.net, you can, in the middle of your markup, you can open up what they call an expression hall, which is, you know, the angle-bracket percent sign, uh, equals. equals or angle back and percent sign. And, um, you can open up a hole in the middle of your XML or your markup and actually inject code in the middle there. Um, so you have to be really careful what type of code that you actually put in there. Uh, and one of the things that, that, um, one of the stories I like to tell, and actually it's a story from, from, um, Mike Champion is the story of the Halloween problem. Okay. And uh, the Halloween problem is something that they actually, uh, if you were a SQL guru or you consider yourself a SQL guru, um, a lot of times you're going to get the, the Halloween problem as a question uh, in, in, in the interview process. And um, basically what it is is it happens when imperative data Manipulation it gets tangled up with declarative queries. Basically, if you have a declarative query as, uh, from where select, and in the middle uh, of your declarative statements, you actually wind up doing some uh, imperative data manipulation, basically doing for each or opening up a cursor and looping through on your own. You wind up with uh, issues uh, on uh, statefulness. So the, the 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 story goes that way back when in the early days of SQL, some programmer somewhere had to go out and give everybody in the organization who earned less than twenty five thousand dollars a ten percent raise. And in his query, um, he actually you know, opened up a cursor and did some work, and it was recursive. So what happened is is the query actually ran successfully. And it didn't come back with any errors. But if you went back and you looked at the results, it turns out that all the employees actually now earn $25,000 because it kept on giving them a raise until they reached that level. So Uh. it's just an example of how you can accidentally mix some imperative coding in, which has state, in with something like declarative programming, which typically doesn't have state, and wind up with strange results that you didn't expect.
2: Well before we get into the the details of this just to to put a cap on this point um in ASP classic ASP you could start declarative you know you could get your you could write a, a few lines of code to get your data and then you could just go uh write an HTML page and then put little for loops in the HTML where it's mostly HTML and you could also do it the other way where you wrote a lot of code and then you would spit out HTML and both ways are heinous, but uh, in, in with the XML literals, you have to start with code. So there is at least that.
3: You definitely have. And, and it's more type safe.
2: And it's more type safe. And one of the features that I discovered during our DNA, DNR TV uh, discussions is that the XML is contrasted so that it's lighter. The font is lighter. It's almost like uh, it a background. It fades. Yeah, yeah they, it's faded. They
3: added a fade to it. So really cool. I haven't tried it when in the, the Nouveau black screen and all that, but at least with the white background, it, it does. It does fade. Uh, it does does a really good job fading it back there. Yeah. Um, which you know that's the idea. I mean, it's data, so push it in the background just a little bit. It's there, but push it in the background just a little bit. Uh, so you got a uh, so that the code actually jumps out at you. And that was a little thing that they added the 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 XML, the VB team added in. And in in the early CTPs, and boy, it made a dramatic difference when you started looking at it.
2: So are you ready for the big news? Telerik is taking the wraps off four new product updates. Rad Controls for ASP.NET, Rad Controls for WinForms, the first official version of the Telerik reporting tool, and a brand new suite codenamed Rad Controls Prometheus. And you guys think I don't sleep. Telerik's tools have always been great, but I think this time they've outdone themselves. Well, here are the details. Prometheus is built on top of Microsoft ASP.NET AJAX and it'll become the successor of Rad Controls for ASP.NET. Just as ASP.NET AJAX will be the future of ASP.NET, Rad Controls Prometheus represents the future direction of all new Telerik development tools. This new suite of controls will also pave the way for seamless integration with Microsoft Silverlight, formerly WPFE. The WinForms suite aims for the stars with powerful new grid, chart, and tree view controls. For me, it seems like a major player on the WinForms market. Another intriguing addition to Telerik's portfolio this spring is Telerik Reporting. The product introduces a new level of development experience, which Telerik collectively calls EaseAbility, a naturally intuitive mouse-only approach to generating Windows, Web, and PDF reports. And if that's not enough, go to www.telerik.com to check out what's new with Telerik's renowned RAD controls for ASP.NET. So, so let's get into just a little bit of what you can do with this. Let's say that we've got an XML file and to use the, uh, example from DNR TV, the, uh, library is the top, you know, music library. So you got library and then you have artists and then albums and then tracks, sort of like this nested XML. And let's say that you, fill, uh, you, you have the task where you, um, oh, I don't know, you want to convert these to a CSV file or you want to, uh, print convert out, it to XML, a, yeah. You want to
3: XHTML. you want to go through
2: it. the XML and you want to pull out some of this data for whatever reason. You know, your your first uh, inclination might be to reach for XPath, but uh, how would you? <laughs> not, uh, not most people. Yeah, well, yours would.
3: <laughs> Mine would, <laughs> but not most people. And I
2: was commenting to Richard that I actually had to do this. I had to convert some data from XML to a comma-separated uh, value uh, for importing a- an address book into Google Mail. And it worked, and I actually used the code that you wrote in DNR TV as a template, and it took me all of five minutes to adjust it for the XML file that oh, I was oh, working. Oh, definitely.
3: With. It definitely makes it so much easier to do.
2: Yeah. Uh, How do we go about
3: doing this? Well, something like that, I mean, if you have some template stuff, is some template code, so uh, say it was to xhtml So um, you had your XML file, you're going to go um, open it up, uh using the X document and document dot load. X
2: document is a new type.
3: It, X document is a brand new um is a brand new uh class. It is not the root of all linked XML like uh the XML DOM is. Yeah and that's
0: what I was thinking. Dom, doc. Sounds pretty close. Uh, yeah yeah
3: the, the the old school XML DOM, uh, dom you know, it was very document-centric. You couldn't create an XML, but you couldn't create a XML element or X, XML attribute without actually, you know, using the factory methods off the document. Right. So basically, you know, you ha- always had to have a document, and every every part of XML had to be associated with a document somewhere. And you know, what the uh, that was all well and fine
0: until you had four hundred million elements. <laughs>
3: And you had all of these transient um, uh, variables that you really weren't doing much with except, you know, there were placeholders that you were going to throw throw around, you know, just so you can do an add later. So you you did a, you used the factory to create a new element, and then later you you had to go in and add the element to wherever you wanted to put it. Mm. And it was very n- non-intuitive. It was very uh, classic C++ object-oriented programming. Um, but, you know, we're, we're beyond that, and we're, the, we're beyond classic C++. We're into brand-new object models and using generics and using functional programming and declarative programming techniques within our imperative code, which is you know, C-sharp or VB is imperative. You're, you're, the idea behind C-sharp or VB is that you're, you're telling the, the computer how you want it done, not what you want it done.
2: So you got this X document and you open it up. Do you still you still have to use a namespace?
3: Um, you can still use the namespace. What's really cool in VB is they allow you to import a namespace a namespace just as if you were importing a .dot uh, a, a .net namespace.
2: A code namespace.
3: Yeah. So what's really cool, Imports. and it looks just like an XML namespace. It's open angle paren I mean open angle bracket XML namespace equals whatever. And if you want to put a prefix in, you can put a prefix in.
2: Um, now, Don, before we go too much further, tell us what is linked to XML and what is VB literals? Because you're you're talking about VB here, that you can do the imports, but yeah, not VB, in... you
3: could do the imports, and in C Sharp, you don't have that imports capability. It's just some syntactic sugar.
2: It's so... just curious. I'm just curious as to why not C Sharp, you know? Well, I mean... And I'm usually asking the other way around.
3: And, and that, that is really a big case here... Is uh, the C sharp team and Anders and such had decided that, you know, they didn't want to extend their language uh, to include in vogue things like XML. That at some point in time XML will be passe and people won't be using it. They'll be using JSON or whatever else they're going to be using. And why tie their, you know, XML, uh, their language to XML or any other? Sort of language. I've heard the word pollute. They don't oh, want to pollute yeah, the <laughs> language. <call it> pollute.
0: <laughs> you know what this reminds me of? Looking at XML literals. Do you remember the old data statement in BASIC? I like, do, Richard. Way sure. back.
2: And as a matter of fact, I needed the data statement recently because, you know, after our discussion about uh, speech and right. Eliza, I found that code and I started converting it.
3: Now, wouldn't and it this had be really cool with, uh, data statements with in the it. Um, voice XML?
0: voice xml
3: yeah with the you,
0: yeah michael mentioned that too. yeah
3: the voice xml is a, is an xml format for for the it's a declarative language
2: oh that's right
3: for the voice stuff that uh, the voice server uh speech server very cool um but it's a you know, it's a standard so it's not specific to microsoft right but it's that type of stuff that you can inject in here you were you have some template code which is you know surrounds the out in the outside of your variable code in the middle
0: Right, you're injecting some data into that structure. You yeah, bet.
3: and doesn't that sound a lot like generics stuff too? I mean, mm-hmm. isn't that what generics does a lot of times? You have this template stuff that sits around, and then you have a generics class, in a, an implementation of a generics class, and you're you're injecting this variable stuff in the middle of this template. Yeah, uh, very, very similar. Same I guess you're right. So, I mean, in in the case of what we were trying to do is convert that that library to XML, you can open up a uh, X element, which, you know, you don't need to go to a document to go create an X element. So you can just dim header as X element equals and then uh, give it the value of uh, a chunk of XML. Uh, say In this case, you And it's not in quotes. It's not in quotes. It's pure XML. Uh, so the compiler actually sees that and they'll convert it to the actual declarative... Constructs that you would need the new x element blah 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 whatever you were doing so in this particular case if you were doing say a table you want your table header you know you would have your you your say three uh, table header um, uh, yeah you go down as
2: deep as you want to search
3: as much as you want to do and then you can dim you know your table rows from you know foo in whatever your document variable was document dot and then what's cool in vb which you don't get in 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 c sharp is they actually added xml what they call xml properties at this point and you can actually use the xml syntax to describe what part of the xml document you're looking for so if you knew that you know and and if you had a, a schema associated with it the the IntelliSense will actually jump in, read your schema, and say, "Oh, your your schema says that library should be the first element, so we're going to you know pop you up with the what looks like an XML element called library dot hmm. you know you know at close angle bracket dot open angle bracket and then whatever the next possibility could be. Hmm. And if your schema said it was artist, you can it, it would show up artist, and you can go down the line as Deep as you want it to go to actually go find the node that you're looking for, so when you, visually when you look at it this this is the one piece that I, I really thought was cool when I first saw this is it looks like the XML so I, I, I'm describing what i 'm looking for visu- uh, visually yeah and not have to look at the the object uh, the classes the class names
2: and the link part comes in where you can do where you can search you know you can select. With using the XML itself as the the you know in the where clause,
3: you bet. You put or actually, you can even use the XML itself in the select also.
2: In the select, that's right. So you could say
3: select from you know the document where something occurs, right? And say select, and then just dump in some XML. Open up a. Um, an expression hall for the the actual values if you want to put the values in. So say you want capture to capture the track number in in the first cell. So it's open. It's open. It's TD uh, expression hall, whatever your foo dot, and then whatever the the if it's an element or if it's an attribute. If it's an attribute, use mm-hmm. the at, at sign, and whatever the attribute name is, and it'll actually get you the value of that as a string and inject that right into your code. So it makes life so much easier to to transform from one format of XML to to another form of XML, or even from XML to other object models.
0: I definitely see this going after XSLT and XPath, in mean, both languages that have been around for a while, but I don't think they've really taken off because they're difficult. And this seems so much more familiar
3: you bet. Uh, I mean, it's definitely more familiar. Um, it's definitely easier to to utilize because it's not a, a different language. It is the language that you're used to, whether VB B, B or C sharp.
0: And you it's know, still relatively terse. It's it's
3: and it's type safe. I mean, that's that's where it comes in. And the IntelliSense jumps in and makes life easier. And the and the uh, it is also type safe, so that comes in. Um... Uh, the XML community knew that XPath was was pretty brutal, and knew that XSLT was a, functionally a great language, but all the angle brackets seemed to get in the way, and it was a little too verbose.
0: Well, and XSLT is again incredibly debug resistant. It's almost pearl-like in its and regex-like in its obscurity.
3: Uh, Just they, you know, I'm
0: look, I'm looking at the syntax around the literals and properties and thing. This is a heck of a lot more legible.
3: Yes, it's definitely more legible. Mm. You don't have all those angle brackets all over the place causing you your problems. And one of the things that the, the XML community did is they came up with the XQuery spec, um, which got rid of the angle brackets, took all of the beauty that, that was XSLT, uh, and brought it into a brand new language. Uh, I'm and sorry, did you just say all the beauty
2: competitor. that was XSLT? Did you just say that? All the beauty that was XSLT,
3: Yeah. Okay, and the,
0: and the upside to XSLT was when you got it to work, it was fast, it was lean, it was very capable. It was just incredibly challenging to get to
3: work. It was only challenging if you didn't understand functional programming. If you tried to tell it to iterate something... Right, if you it tried to do it
0: procedurally... Problem. You yeah. got hammered.
3: You, it's just, and I equate it back to what's the one thing when you learn SQL. What's the one thing that they o- always, the, the, the old school DBAs always tell you not to do?
0: And no cursors.
3: No cursors.
0: <laughs> yeah, you're working in sets
3: here, <laughs> you, right? And so you got set algebra that you're working with, which is what XSLT did, It was the same same scenario. No cursors.
0: No iterators. We're working in functions here,
2: exactly. right?
3: Um, Well, you
2: know, but the difference between a database and XML should be obvious. I mean, if your XML is for small sets, databases are for big sets. You know, cursors are okay in small sets.
3: Mm, They're still not as performant because you're still telling it how you want it to iterate.
2: All right. But usually, okay, but performance is relative because, I mean, if you have a million rows, (laughs) a million lines in an XML file, you shouldn't be using XML.
3: No, no, I, I agree, but I mean it, it comes down to the the language constructs too of a uh, back to functional programming. Uh, if you were doing iterations and you're on a multi-core processor, are you ha- uh, are you smart enough to know how to divide up your work so that you can take advantage of the multiple cores?
2: Oh, that's a whole nother story.
3: Well, I mean, but that's why you try to avoid even in small sets this scenario of trying to tell the the computer. How you want it done instead of just telling it what you want
4: done. Right, yeah.
3: Um, and so that's, that's where that all comes back into play. And, and, okay. you know, they keep on adding, and that's the beauty of .NET, of XSLT was it was functional. And it's the beauty of .NET 3.5 is they've added that functional programming constructs to the language, to the framework, so that you can in the future, be able to take advantage of multi-core processors and not have to worry about single-threading and, and use something like P-Link, a parallel link. Uh,
2: uh, now, Don, in your talking points, you mentioned XAML. And um, I thought, wow, using using link-to-XML to express XAML could be very powerful.
3: After I got over the disgust of, uh, boy, does that look like classic ASP, I
4: said...
3: <laughs> <laughs> I said you know, wouldn't that be cool if I could drop my XAML code right into my VB code and the compiler, I could set some sort of option somewhere where I could tell the compiler either compile that as XML using linked XML or maybe the compiler could be smart enough to say, why don't we go and do the, uh, create the Objects that that, X, that XAML actually re- represent it and create and create IL for that instead.
2: And you're saying you want you want to put the XAML object, the UI objects, right in the code?
3: Well, okay. Well, first off, XAML is more than UI. Sure. Uh, that's one of the things that a lot of people don't realize is no, that XAML right, is right. just a serialization format for that. For things objects. that are rendered, right? But yeah. you're,
2: are you saying you want it? You want these visual elements rendered right in the code?
3: Well, why not compile it straight into IL? I mean, it was just, it was nice syntax that we had, you know, XAML syntax that we had somewhere lying around in in a folder somewhere. Mm. Why can't it compile to IL? Why do we have to wait? Why does we have to use a different compiler? You know, you might
2: be able to use um, the uh, DX core from Developer Express Mm -hmm. to do a plug-in to do that. To do something like that. We should talk to Mr. Miller about it. It would be pretty slick.
3: (laughs) But, I mean, they were at, I mean, there's the whole argument of, is XAML a better C-sharp? Yeah. And if it's a better C-sharp, why can't I drop it in my C-sharp? Or why can't I drop it in my VB? Because it it's better for certain things, for certain scenarios. So why can't I use that? I mean, that's wild. I just, that's I, I I just think
0: that's, you know, it's almost apples and oranges there. I mean, XAML is a method of describing visualization and some functionality around that visualization. C sharp's a programming language. You're really doing more things in C sharp. It's a much more low level, flexible thing. I think XAML's got a very specific area that it's working in. UIs have a lot of stuff to them, but they're not a complete programming
3: language. No, they're definitely. And, and declarative languages, I mean, that's part of the. The rub against declarative languages is that they're not uh, a full-featured language. I mean, that's why you still need to jump back. And so, um, you know, why not take advantage, be able to mix it a little, and so sort of take advantage of both. Um, the uh, the other part of of that is um, things like um, DSLs and internal DSLs.
2: Now you're talking about domain-specific domain specific
3: languages. languages. So, uh when we're talking about XAML, XAML is a serialization format and you could say that it's a, a domain specific language especially in, on the WPF side, you know, that uh that describes UI really really well. And we have, you know, runtime interpretation of that or we have, you know, compilers that will, you know, compile that for you, but you you can't mix your imperative code in with your DSL code you're, you use AML very well. Um, a lot of times, uh, external DSL, what we're calling external DSLs, you know, where they have this runtime inter- interpretation, they're late bound or, or they're, they have separate compilers or code generators. Uh, you could think of it as like a config file is a, a late bound DSL. Uh, a config file, it may tweak your program to do certain things based on, uh, the language constructs that you put in in your config file, you know, where the con- connection string is. Um, but, you know, it's external to your whole program. So it's, right. it's just data at that point. Um, internal DSLs, on the other hand, um, you're actually using the constructs of the programming language to define a DSL. So you, you, you ha- wind up, when you look on, uh, the big one that they always talk about it is Ruby. And so the example that everybody always uses is You know, ten dot minutes dot ago. Right. You know, a way to describe, you know, maybe some, a little bit more syntactically correct or easier to read, uh, to convert, uh, you know, to be able to create a date time time from ten minutes ago. Right. Uh, it's just easier to read and hopefully if it's easier to read then it's easier to maintain. Um, so there's a lot of, of, uh, a lot of talk about those internal DSLs. And, you know, and the ability that .NET 3.5 has to be able to do some of those same constructs using um, extension methods. So if I wanted to actually... You
2: could use this with a dynamic language runtime, for example?
3: Well, you could use a dynamic language runtime, but you could also use it statically if you really wanted to. If you wanted to create a, and then the example that we had is uh, 10.minutes. that ago, right. You know, you could create a minutes function, uh, extension function that extends a string. Right. You know, it, and then, you know, that's something that you could do if you really wanted to, which, you know, brings us to this whole new world uh, of brand new object models that are out there, or, or possibilities of brand new object models. Um, like the link XML object model. Um, where they do really cool things like hang new methods off of the old uh, XPath classes so that um, th- so they call bridge classes. So that you can jump back and forth between the old object model and, and the new mod- object model. Um and
0: they do that so that if you've got existing XPath materials or XPath code, you can migrate it? You
3: can migrate it or jump back and forth between the two object models and make life a heck of a lot easier. But they 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 didn't want to crack open the old the old DLL. I mean they're not they're not making any changes to the to the 2.0 libraries. Right. So and the only way to really do it is create what they call an extension method, which is more like a it's more like um, uh, what I what I like to call it is a bath module on steroids. (laughs) (laughs) For the VB guys out there, they I think you know they they gravitate to Function, uh, two, uh, extension methods pretty well. Um, basically they're static methods in a static class, which is basically a a BAS module with an attribute over it to let, let the compiler know what, uh, class to associate or what type, types of classes to associate this function with so that when you're actually using your dot help, your IntelliSense, when you have, you know, a class, say, you know, I enumerable of T, And then, you know, that implements I enumerable of T and I hit the dot, I'll get the where um, method, which isn't doesn't hang off of whatever class you created. It's just it's the static method that sits out there in space. It's just they did a little compiler magic for that to show up for you.
2: Hey, I just want to give a shout out real quick to our friends at Data Dynamics who uh, make ActiveReports.net, among other really awesome things. ActiveReports.net is great because uh, it allows you to just build your reports with an easy editor, embed them right in your application, provide PDF and HTML output, give your end users a report editor, royalty-free, of course, a great access report upsizing wizard, and all this for a price that isn't going to break the bank. ActiveReports.net from Datadynamics. Go check it out now at datadynamics.com. Don it seems to me when i was looking at this with you that you know the xml uh namespace in net has and even before that in the old doms and the com doms and all that you the, there always a million ways to do the same thing and uh, is that really true with uh with this new x document x element and all of these new
3: types there's definitely a, uh, more ways to do it um but i think they're more intuitive yeah i think um using the dot syntax, you know, the dot help, the dot syntax, that you can relatively easily figure out how, how to, to create objects of, uh, of um, the new linked XML object model.
2: And they totally yeah. interface with streams and everything else?
3: Yeah, it got really crazy, you know, trying to figure out it. You would always have to go hunt and pack and try to find some sample code somewhere on right. the exact order that you had to do things with because it wasn't very intuitive. Right. Uh, and and uh, the the linked x m l team was very cognizant of that issue and wanted to make uh the object model um as easy to work with as possible and and when I tell people that i'm actually you know i'm in love with this object model I'm in love with this object model because of uh the way that they they developed it not because it's xml i mean i don't care you know it could be you know a, a an object model, you know, over CSV is, for all I care, and I'd be just as happy. Yeah, um, just because the, the the beauty, the inherent beauty of the object model, left there, and uh, I could see where in the future uh, they could apply a lot of the same patterns that they that they learned, you know, in creating that model, in a lot of other areas in .NET, um, especially, you know, along the lines of um, Things like the office suite, your office apis the office office object model
2: is that because most of the the document
3: types are now xML well it's more than the, the, it's just xml they're document centric, just like XML it can, it is mostly document centric uh, you can do the what they call the function what the XML team is calling functional constructors where you open up a a, a, a class of, and create a class of a specific type. Uh, Open paren and then new up other classes all within it, all and ha- all have it execute within one line of code. So you get a, a full object graph, whether it be an XML object graph or say, a Word document object graph or an Excel document object graph. You know, that thing, that would be really, you know, nice and easy to be able to do.
2: Well, and, and it, you know, especially Don, this really brings to mind those server applications that we've all wanted to write where from a web page, we open up an Excel spreadsheet or a Word doc and, you know, maybe, maybe we give a Word document to, to a business guy to do search and replace on, you know, uh, he creates a template and then, you, you know, doing that kind of stuff with office, you'd have to like load Word. And now you can just grab one of the, the X docs or the Excel XML files, pull it up in, uh, you know, with link to XML, just zip, zip, zip. You're done.
3: I mean, we're going beyond XML here, too, though. I mean, right. why not a Word, Word uh, object model that that ha- has the same functional constructors?
2: Well, what I mean is that, you know, you don't have to load a great big object model. You've got XML, and you've got a, a great tool for parsing oh, it now. Oh,
3: definitely, oh, definitely. That's
2: lightweight and is going gonna, is gonna to scale.
3: So, I mean, part of that also, I mean, harkens back to uh, VBA and what are they doing with VBA and how are they going to make, make it how are they going to entice all those people to change their vba code over (laughs) to something else
2: you know it's really funny Uh, every time a new word comes out or a new feature for office or some new language or whatever what we richer now we always ask that same question so is vba going away
0: (laughs) you know is it gonna go away yet (laughs) (laughs) and and on i mean while as much as we're Teasing about that. Let's face it, Office having VBA was a breakthrough. Yep. It really changed the potential of this productivity suite into a front end for some serious development. Right. Granted, with its own set of problems. And it's, a, but it's the reason that it's hung on for so long. I almost get a sense that we're turning this over. Like you said, it's document centric now. It's all about the XML of the document. Word providing functionality uh, against that document. But now you need a programming language to call against that.
3: You bet. But, you know, why, why, why expose the hordes of VBA developers that are out there that, you know, aren't typically you know, full-fledged you know, developers? They're, you know, a, lot, a lot of them, you know, are financial analysts and stuff. You know.
0: They're top-down VB developers,
3: They're not bottom-up.
0: Yeah, the guys that used to be macro programmers, it's just that we got rid of the macro language and made it VBA. Yeah.
3: So, you know, why, why impose XML on those guys? Why not put another uh, abstraction on top of that and just let them use more of the Word, uh, a better Word object model or a yeah. better Excel object model on top that's, of that?
2: That's a good point.
3: Um, and that was one of the things that they announced at, um, at Mix this year was the concept of VBX.
2: Now what's that? And I know what VBX used to be.
0: <laughs> you,
3: yeah. So Are we
2: recycling
0: terms here? uh
2: Oh,
3: <laughs> yeah. That that VBX, <laughs> and they discussed it a little bit at, at, at Remix. And
2: for those who don't know, why we're laughing, the .dot VBX was the original extension of custom controls in VB one. Yeah, and it lasted as far as VB four. Four. Uh, well, three. Technically, yeah. four is when they introduced OCX and they went from 16 bit to both 16 and
0: 32 bit. And all of us that b- lived on VBX controls got our butts handed to us. That's right.
3: And then we went to ActiveX. Yeah. Um, and ActiveX,
0: this is a nice
2: little history lesson here on DNR, right? <laughs> Ac- ActiveX, I always considered like they, you know, ActiveX was happening about the time that Microsoft woke up and discovered hey, this internet thing is pretty interesting you know and so we we should have a way that we could host ole controls or ocx's in the browser and ocx's were big and slow and uh, dependent on lots of system things and they just you know it, it was about that time that the the setup you know a setup program for a windows application was huge and size really didn't matter to microsoft because after all the bigger – the more disk space you use, the faster you can recycle your computers and get a new one with another version of Windows on it. So so ActiveX sort of – they they stripped out all this old-school stuff from Olay and made these objects leaner and meaner and uh, faster to download. Uh, you know, they just optimized for client-server, basically.
3: And can, can't you say uh, Olay – uh Ola documents are really xml documents
2: yeah they re- they really are you know and i thought by the way i thought activex documents were going to be more popular than they were but the problems of course well every well okay this is for the people who didn't live through this but uh problems were you know just hosting an object in the browser in general don't security. press the back button what happens when you press your app goes away
0: yeah carnage
2: yeah it's bad
3: <laughs> or security
0: so anyway, yeah. that end of history lesson. Yeah. I there's always a problem with the ability to embed something in a web page that can format a hard drive. <laughs>
3: yeah.
0: yeah. That would, be, the, bad. Yeah, that would be bad. That would be bad. Very bad. Allow
3: <laughs> <laughs> Yes no.
0: <laughs> but meantime on VBX <laughs> yeah. Back
3: to VBX. Right. VBX is um isn't a product. Isn't it's more of a code name uh for a bunch of ideas that they're tossing around for uh, the next version of VB, be that whatever it happens to be, and it also the next version of VB happens to be the tenth version of VB. So, so X, X I get it. X, well, and
2: X is lowercase here, is like like a variable.
3: Definitely like a variable. Yeah. And they had tossed around the idea of maybe VB dot X or whatever. It really doesn't matter. It it, it was it's basically a code name, uh, uh, a way to the group a bunch of different ideas that they have out there. Uh, into one kind of coherent mass so they could call it something. And so some of the stuff might wind up in the next version of VB. Some of the stuff might wind up in the next version of something else. Uh, to be decided, they're not 100% sure exactly what it all is, uh, and what it all means. But one of, one of the key aspects is the dynamic language runtime and to be able to host VB within the DLR. and Eric Meyer, I, you had on earlier, he, he, um, he always puts it, the static typing where possible, dynamic typing where needed. And that's hmm. his mantra. Hmm. Uh, so he wants, you know, he wants VB so that you can actually go out and, and do the VB that we know and love for enterprise development, uh, and have it all compiled down and make it type safe. Or if you want to, you know, do more Ruby-esque type stuff, you can do that too, where you need that.
0: The question is going to be whether or not the average developer can call that correctly.
3: And how it this looks. is a
0: place for static typing. This is a place for dynamic typing.
3: Uh, we have the same. Um, you could say the same exact thing for uh, functional programming and imperative programming. You know, wh- uh, true, or
0: learn? or XML literals.
3: Yeah, yeah, that's the XML literal it hmm. comes comes all back to it.
0: Although I've never found. I, I'm, actually, I think it's a basic measure of Microsoft technology. Every technology that's successful for Microsoft gives you enough power to shoot your foot off. (laughs) If it isn't there, it isn't good enough. You know, um, we were talking about um,
2: C Sharp not doing the XML literals, and this is really the first time, you know, since the the idea has been tossed around of the languages diverging, this is the first time that I can see it significantly happening. Um, There have been little things, but that's not a little thing. No, that's a big thing. That's uh, you know, it just seems to me that now when people talk about uh, the languages are diverging, now I understand um, that you know C sharp wants to remain pure, whereas VB is where the the you know the weird the weirdos the hippie language, if you will, right?
3: (laughs) Yeah, I could I could be called that. That'll work.
0: (laughs) But so, what is the catchphrase? Stuff your purity. I need to get work done. So, uh, C-sharp is the
2: Republican language, maybe. Oh, no.
4: <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh, I'm going to get some hate mail from that. Oh,
0: yes. <laughs> <laughs> but, but it I is. Mean, it's
2: conservative. It's old school. They want to remain pure. Stuffy. Stuffy. Okay. But well, nice. you said it, but, you know, they, they would argue that but, uh, uh, it's better that the- way.
0: I think one of the things that's happening is with the, with functional languages coming up, becoming a significant part in the equation, we're looking at C sharp and VB and saying, why do we need both? They're too similar. And each is moving in a different direction to define themselves more effectively. I think each of them are adopting functional elements in different ways. It's
2: purely market, Richard. That's that's it. And, you I know, gotta hope so. VB programmers want their VB, and C sharp programmers want their C sharp, and that's the end of the story.
3: Well, I mean, uh, yes and no. I mean, uh, I I gave up VB six when I switched over to .net, and I and I became a C sharp convert. And you know with the stuff that the v b team is doing with nine I'm actually you know back on the on the v b nine side um you know there's still stuff in v b nine that really irks me um but in like namespace support um and I'm talking net namespaces not and they tried to off skate away the namespaces were you know on um, I'm anal about that. I want to be able to declare my namespaces You think
2: that it should be part of the default template, that you should be able to see the import statements rather than hiding them in the project properties. You bet.
3: Yeah. And you know, those are little things, but, you know, I can understand, you know, why they're doing that way, doing it that way. But, you know, in the future, you know, I would also like to maybe even see a divergence in VB itself, the two different styles, two different forms. Um, hmm. and maybe that's something, you know, that, that'll happen. I mean, that's what happened with VB and VBA. Um, maybe that's a good thing. Maybe that's not a good thing. I don't know. I, I you know it, it That remains to be seen, but, you know, there are some, some reasons why you might want to do that.
2: So um, you mentioned, you know, we talked about VBX, and you said it's just a whole collection of things. Can you met, talk about any of those things? Well,
3: one of them is being able to run in the DLR. So to be right. able to run in the DLR... Uh, you, they're not going to be able to have reliance on guaranteeing that the Visual Basic li- library is actually on the platform. Yeah. So they're going to have the the ability, and they actually put it in VB9. So that when VB9 compile when you compile something in VB9, if you don't explicitly use anything in the Microsoft Visual Basic library, it does not include a reference to it. Where now in VB8, if you don't refer to any any of the the, uh, the functions in the, the Visual Basic Library and you don't even put a reference to it in your project, you automatically get one injected and, and you have a dependency on the Visual Basic Library being there.
0: Hmm. Um, this is only relevant if you're going to start playing in the DLR land of stuff like Silverlight.
3: You bet. And Silverlight's a, a big reason you know for doing that. I mean, the, you try to convert the Microsoft uh, VB li- library so that it'll work on Mac. Um, it's just not something that's going to be all that easy. And you know, if you're not utilizing that that code, that code base, why do you need why do you need something like that?
0: Yeah. Um, Suddenly, I feel like we're back in the WPF XAML space again.
3: That. Um, other uh, other things were that they had originally marked for uh, VB9 were things like dynamic uh, duck typing, which you can actually create what they call a dynamic interface and which really just really helped with um IntelliSense so you could create uh, a dynamic interface that had uh, uh a member uh, property called name and you could uh, you could have a late bound type and you could say it's of this dynamic interface so that every time even though it might not implement an iPerson person interface it but it would always has this name property when you, wherever you have that variable, whenever you're using that variable, you, you hit the dot and then you'll see the name property there. So, I mean, it's just nice, uh, syntactic sugar, or, I mean, actually IntelliSense sugar for you to be able to do stuff like that. Um there are a couple other things that uh, I'm forgetting off the top of my head that were dropped out of, uh, the early CTP, uh, for v- Visual Basic 9 that will probably show up in the X10 at some point in time. Mm. Um, but then there's there's other things like, um, and these are all conjecture on my part, is language extensibility. Um, this isn't stuff that, you know, Microsoft's ever publicly said, or even privately said to me. Okay. That, um, otherwise, I wouldn't be talking about it now. Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean... There, there, there is a pattern going on here. I mean, uh, the teams have gone off and created this brand new language-integrated query. So they've added query keywords. They extended the, the the languages and added these query keywords. And then the VB team went off and added this XML uh, syntax into into their language. Um, what if there's other languages or internal DSLs or Language constructs that I want to be able to add, just to add some syntactic sugar uh, to the language, just to make it easier for for a developer to to write some code. Uh, wouldn't that be cool? That there, were, if there was some way that I could inject my own keywords into into a language, whether it be VB or something else. Yeah. Um, and and my the example I typically use, and I have a, a, a blog entry that that I wrote up on it. Um, it is
4: it
3: is um say you had something like an improved Windows Media Library object model? Okay, wouldn't I? Wouldn't it be cool if I could write something like from my dot Windows Media Library where user rating greater than three play? <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah. Although my user rating would probably want to be like better than eight. You know.
3: Yeah, or better. Than, well, it's usually a th- three stars or five stars or whatever. Oh, okay,
2: out of five, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, three yeah.
3: out of five, and and last played date, you know,
2: where suck level equals zero.
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's a common joke in the studio here. You know, somebody will say, "Oh, my guitar sound sucks." Can you do anything with it? I'll say, "Yeah, I'll just, I'll just turn down the suck knob." <laughs> <laughs>
3: The, the the problem here is that with que- the uh, the integrated query, you're stuck to from where select.
0: Yeah. Right.
3: And so we can't use another verb. We could overload the 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 select uh, method and actually apply it. You know when we were when you know it was against a Windows Media library. Uh, we could, uh, you know, overload that, but it would still say select, but it would play, but that wouldn't be too intuitive. Yeah. You know, we could use the, the non-syntactic sugar version, uh, uh, of, uh, link, which is, you know, some collection dot where, open paren, you know, whatever you're trying to query, comma, some, you know, some function, you know, um, close paren. Or you could do dim playlist equal, from my Windows Media Library, where user rating, get in and three, select, and then do a playlist playlist.play, and that's two statements instead of one. You know, two statements instead of one is cool, but wouldn't it be better if I could do it all in one?
0: But you're really getting to a real concept of a domain-specific language, a, a language or an environment where I can simply declare new keywords that ultimately point to specific objects and behaviors.
3: You bet. And, and, and then mm. the idea there is, is that strongly typed? Is that compile time or is that a dynamic thing?
0: Well, and, and the whole thing about duct typing is this mechanism of don't worry about it. If you can match it up, go for it. If you can't match it up, it's something else. Mm-hmm. So better. rather than doing that strict type check up front, you're just seeing where it fits. Don, what, what would
2: you like to see... Uh Done better in Link to XML, maybe in the next version. And we've talked a little bit about you know things that you'd like to see. But
3: I really want to get some more not specific to to Link to XML, but specific to to .NET framework. I want to see more in the transformation space. And that there's there is some transformation ability built into into uh, Link right now, the, the .NET three five. But I'd like to be able to do more of an XSLTO type thing where I have a transformation framework that, that's declarative in nature that I can use within .NET hmm. to be able to say something like transform, you know, from, you know, this, this type to this other type using a bunch of these templates.
0: Yeah. So now we get back to. Carl's project recently where he really, I mean, he used link to XML to get the data, but then ultimately iterated through it to write out a CSV file. Right. You'd like to do that declaratively.
3: Do that in the declarative uh, form. Mm. And, you know, if, X, if XAML is a better C-sharp, you know, why would I have to jump to XSLT to transform XAML to, from XAML of one type to XAML of another type? You might yeah. be able to do that in .NET? True. Without having to jump to XSLT.
2: Don, you gonna be speaking anywhere anytime soon that we can come see? You? I'll
3: be at VS Live, actually in New York City in two weeks, di- talking about VB9.
2: Awesome. All right, well, that's a show.
3: All right, thanks. Thanks a lot, guys.
2: Thank you very much, Don XML, Don Demsack. Uh, DonXML.com has been our guest talking about VB literals. And we will see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is recorded and produced by Pwop Productions, providing professional audio, audio mastering, video, post-production, and podcasting services. at www.dotnetrocks.com.